I'm sure there's people listening to this that were hired as a first UX writer at a company. Perhaps they already have some experience or perhaps they're transitioning from another profession. Maybe they were a content marketer before, just a technical writer. And you land at the new company and you're like, hey, how can we establish a UX writing culture here, right? This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello and welcome to Writers in Tech, a podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub. The UX Writing Hub is an online education platform for writers in tech. We created the first and only UX writing bootcamp in the world for UX writers, content designers, and people that want to get into the field. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Juan. Buzz, did I say it right? That's perfect. It works for me. I met Juan for the first time earlier this year on Clubhouse, I believe. And since then, I've been following his work and he's doing a lot of fantastic work in the UX writing industry. And I heard his story a bunch of times before about doing his transition to UX writing. And now he's here to share this story today. Hey, Juan, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I, I missed our Clubhouse talks. Yeah, same. I honestly, it's kind of sad. I don't know if you're at Clubhouse a lot anymore, but I still have the app on my phone and sometimes I'll get notifications about, yeah, I don't know, like some people are talking in a room, this and that, and I tap on it and it's like just two people in a room. But it's kind of sad because it was a lot of fun. It was fun and a lot of potential. Obviously, Facebook spaces, Twitter rooms, or vice versa, whatever, like they copied that feature. And I don't think they're doing it as good. I think it's like the Facebook room feature is definitely not like a native experience to me. Yeah. The Twitter one is fun, but it's harder to set kind of a theme. So I've started one or two of the Twitter spaces, but I don't know. I've seen a couple of UX writing ones on there, but Clubhouse just felt more organized. It's just right. that it was a total hype when we were stuck at home. And now that we can, well, I mean, go outside a little bit, I feel like people have kind of lost interest. That's interesting. Yeah, most of the discussions over there are about like fitness and NFTs or something like that right now. Yeah, crypto and, and pumping iron. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> All right. Luckily, we still have podcasts going on. Mm. Yeah, that's about it. So Juan, tell me a little bit about your journey, your story, your exciting. You had some pretty impressive uh, portfolio for your freelance business. So tell me more about that. Yeah, so my story is a bit interesting. I think about four or five years ago, I was still working for this company called The Next Web, which is a big uh, publishing house, pretty much. It's a publishing house and an events organizer, actually, in the tech space, based in Amsterdam, where I was living at the time. And I was doing a bunch of different things for them. Stuff like, at some point I was organizing the event, the annual TNW conference. But later on, I also started writing. I pretty much became a blogger or, I mean, I would say a journalist, but realistically it was more of a blogger, uh, writing about the industry, all the different things that yeah happened, if there were any interesting acquisitions, but also reviews for iPhones and the like. But when I quit there in 20... I think it was 2016, I was suddenly kind of thinking of what I wanted to be doing. And I tried free, freelance journalism for a while. It was pretty fun. It was just harder than I imagined it to be. There was a lot of acquisition involved that I wasn't really yeah, kind of 
used to. Like normally when I was at the next web, I was just writing three to four articles a day about anything that I could find on the web. It was a qu quite a high output, so I could write pretty fast. But yeah, it was pretty intense actually. But I mean, there weren't long articles or anything. If I would write a, a, an iPhone review and would need uh, maybe, I don't know, four or 5,000 words, I would take a couple of weeks to really get that right. But the shorter articles, the three or four today, I think you're talking like maybe 300, 200 words per article. So short stuff, maybe even just a video that I found on the internet. But yeah, no, when I switched to freelance journalism, it suddenly got really interesting because I mean, there's almost no publisher that would let a freelance journalist write four articles a day. So I was writing for all kinds of blogs, and but, but first pitching the stories and then getting them approved and then writing them, researching them, and then editing them. Sometimes that could take up to a week, which, you know, was a lot of work. And you would have to repeat that cycle quite often, which I just didn't really like that workflow. So I ended up kind of thinking, where could I go after journalism? Where could I go after this freelance journalism writing thing. I ended up kind of in between content marketing and journalism for a while. I did a lot of writing for all kinds of blogs that were owned by companies. So mm -hmm. for example, I did a lot of stuff for, this is already a while ago, but I did some stuff for a real-time board, which is now called Miro, which is this huge um, collaboration uh, tool. They were, for example, launching a blog and I had the journalism background, so I did some interviews for them. I wrote a bit about, I don't know, the, the those topics, like the future of work and, and collaboration topics that uh, interested them. It was really fun, actually, but... Many people use Miro today for the future of work and collaborate remotely. Yeah. So, uh, so it worked. At the time, it was, it was a pretty small company still called Realtime Board. I remember them um, since they were, their name was Realtime Board. I remember it. I remember they did the rebranding and everything. It's... Uh, it took me a while to even get the hang of the, like they were in my conscious for a lot of time, I think because of their blog and their content and stuff. But I actually started using them, I guess, like two years ago. And now I'm a, I'm a super user. I love them. I have many boards. I do all of my remote workshops on Miro, all of the sitemaps, all of the feature planning, even project management I do on Miro because visually it makes sense to me to organize projects on, on Miro. So uh Nice. It's a cool, uh, yeah. cool company, cool product. It, it's a cool company. I, I definitely was at the time already quite impressed with what they achieved and how quickly they were able to grow. And I thought it was interesting as well that it was a, a Russian company by originally, a bit different from a lot of the American tech companies I was working for. And I, people there were just extremely nice. And I was doing a bit of content marketing for them. Later on, I also helped them with the rebranding to Miro from the writing perspective together mm -hmm. with an agency based in the Netherlands called Verve. They did amazing work there. And I knew the, the guys in charge there of the agency. So they, they asked me and they, Miro or Realtime Board was like, hey, we've worked with Juan in the past. So I don't know. At that point, I started getting kind of used to the freelance life and I know, getting more confident as well in, in finding clients. And it was also kind of around that time, I would say like three and a half years ago that I also kind of wanted to look beyond content marketing and beyond kind of traditional writing I'd been doing. And that's kind of when my eye fell on um, a UX writing on content design. Quite, uh, you're the last person to have to tell that there was quite a new field at the time. It still was quite a niche, of course, but at the time, really, there weren't that many people working in UX writing. Definitely. Um, We're talking about like 2017, but, something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. 2017, like mid-2017, you saw maybe some big companies starting to hire for it. 
and some other companies already having a culture in place for it. I think Spotify at the time probably already had some UX writers. They were really early. But yeah, as a freelancer, I was like, this sounds amazing. Like I've always been kind of interested in tech, but as a non-technical person, more of a visual thinker, more as a, more as a writer, a creative, I would have loved to have like a seat at the product table. So yeah, this felt like this interesting new opportunity for me to be able to kind of start thinking about the product at a tech company. The only problem was how was I going to get any clients to, to trust me for doing UX writing work when all of my work was in the past was journalism, was content marketing, that kind of stuff. I also did some brand writing and some tone of voice generation, but really kind of on the brand and marketing side. So I started asking around a bit and kind of checking my, my, my source and my previous clients who want, who wants to give me like my first UX writing job. And uh, yeah, then it started kind of transitioning some, I, I was also able to convince some clients like, Hey, you're not really, you looking for, sometimes people, you know, as a freelance UX writer or as a freelance writer in general, people come to you all the time asking if you can do copywriting for them. And it's not the same. I mean, again, and I think a lot of listeners might already realize this as well. Like copywriting is really marketing a lot of the time. And UX writing is much more applied, much more product driven. But, you know, sometimes I would approach a client that would, I would talk to a client that would approach me for copywriting services. And I would be like, hey, maybe you're looking for actually somewhat more of a UX writer. I see you're working on a product. And I think that's how I got the first gig as a UX writer by convincing one of the, cl the clients. And then it's as a freelancer, you get to pick what you do. So I just started picking up more of the UX writing work that would, would be coming my way and less of the, the content marketing, less of the, the editorial journalism kind of work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, fast forward to today, I've been very lucky to work with some pretty cool companies, I think, with some pretty big brands, some of which have like a big understanding of UX writing already. You know, Spotify, Minecraft, I'm currently working with, but also some other you know, pretty big non-tech brands, like, which is a big luxury watch brand, mm -hmm. kind of the likes of Patek Philippe, Rolex. Yeah. And a bunch of others, Tommy Hilfiger. Tommy Hilfiger. Yeah. Yeah. That's been also as a techie person, you know, was working in tech already for a long time before I did the freelance thing. It's also been really fun to work for these lifestyle kind of brands that not necessarily have a big interest in tech, but you know, also need digital experiences to sell their wares or that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's been a long, interesting journey. And now, you know, I'm very happy that I get to work with these big, you know, companies that have a pretty sizable impact on, on the world in different ways. That's amazing. What a journey. Thank you for sharing that. So first of all, I would love to know a little bit from your point of view as a freelance about the differences. Like Minecraft is a gaming company right? And Spotify is this huge streaming service and obviously Minecraft. To those of you in the audience that aren't familiar, it's like so many people in the world are playing this game. I, to be honest, uh, never had the chance to play Minecraft. And I heard about it as a cultural thing from so many places, like children hang out on Minecraft instead of like hang out in real life and stuff like that. Kind of a metaverse experience. So tell me a little bit about like First of all, okay, as a freelancer, how do you kind of split your time? This is something I'm really interested to, to know between the different clients and, and what are kind of the expectations from each project? 
as a person that found it really tough to kind of manage projects of UX writing, it's very, very tough. As a freelance, I guess you have a lot of challenges to do that. So tell me more about that. It's interesting that you're talking about Minecraft, the first thing you were just saying as kind of like this, where people hang out. I, re- I recently read a super interesting article about like how the metaverse and how, you know, Facebook or, or Meta is positioning it has already kind of been achieved by some games like Fortnite, like Minecraft, right. uh, Second Life, the time where people are hanging out. You know, I wouldn't go as far as saying that Minecraft is like the full metaverse as we'll be experiencing it in the future, but it's definitely been like a place where with a big cultural impact, which has been really interesting. But yeah, I mean, in terms of managing time, picking up contracts, there's been a lot of different ways of doing it. I mean, in the beginning, when I just started off, I think most of it was just working as much as I could because the contracts tended to be pretty short. So for example, if I would be working for a startup, they generally didn't have that much budget for a UX writer. They didn't have much budget in general, really. But yeah, they I, I would generally just ask them, how much time do you have? How much money do you have for me to kind of get to you and, and help you out? And perhaps that would only be two or three days or maybe a week. And after that, those shorter contracts, they tend to be great. They tend to be intensive for four or five days, maybe a week, maybe two weeks. But then after that, you have to do the acquisition again. And then you have to search for a while. And, you know, I've always been really impressed with freelancers who manage to link or kind of chain contracts one after another. And that way, just keep their calendar full because that requires so much organization, like a crazy amount of organization you need. If you're working with 10 different companies at the same time and you're, you're chaining all those contracts to make sure that you're working all the time. If you manage to do that, I think that's really, really impressive. I personally have very rarely been able to do that when I was working with a bunch of different companies at the same time. But I think like about two and a half years ago, so kind of halfway through my freelancing after the next web, I started kind of picking up bigger contracts like Spotify, like Minecraft. And that for me has always worked a bit differently because I, for both of those companies, I've always always been integrated in it. For example, at Minecraft, I am part of the UI UX team. And that means that, you know, that team is consists of, you know, a bunch of full-timers, a bunch of freelancers like me, but there's just a schedule. Everybody just works from nine to five generally, or whatever the Swedish hours are. Generally it's nine to five, nine to six. And I'm expected to kind of be around during those hours as well. Like I work on Slack. I need to be available to people. I have meetings with people. I'm part of, you know, certain rituals, meetings, recurring meetings every week, retros, syncs, catch-ups, all these things. I'm, I'm, pretty much part of the company for that amount of time. And at Spotify, it was the same. You integrate into a team. At Spotify, I was uh, part of the design systems team. So, you know, mm-hmm. a very hardworking team doing incredible stuff. And I just need to, I can't be around like two hours a week or two hours on Monday and then three hours on, on Friday. I, I kind of need to be there all the time to to sync up with how people are working. So it's, it's actually been quite in, easy. Like I just block days of my time and for all intents and purposes, except for, I guess, uh, legal status, I'm a full-time employee for a couple of days a week, depending on what, you know, on, on budget or depending on the needs of the company. At Minecraft, for example, I work generally three to four days. Spotify was, you know, anywhere between four and five, three and between three and five, really, depending on the needs, depending on how busy it is, depending on what I'm working on at the time. And yeah, that makes things for me a lot easier. It's a bit more boring. It's not really you know, the hustling kind of freelancing way of doing things. 
but it, it, my schedule is really easy. I just, at the top of the day, at the, you know, an all day event, it just says Minecraft or it says Spotify. And then I know also that I can fully commit that day, all of my energy to one client and really be there for them and really make sure that I don't have to code switch halfway through the day or, or maybe code switch multiple times during the day between different clients. So yeah, for me, that's been really great and really nice to be able to focus on one client at the time. And, you know, there's been times when I was working for both Minecraft and Spotify and it would switch during the week, like for example, three days at Minecraft and then two days at Spotify at the end of the week. And that's fine. It's just like when you go to bed on Wednesday, you wake up on Thursday, you just have to remember that you're working with different people. Now you're working on different problems with a different company. And also obviously uh, very important, you're working on different laptops because, you know, Maybe Minecraft and Spotify aren't direct competitors, but I think it's very important to keep things separate from a security standpoint. And, but otherwise, like, yeah, it's just been really great to fully focus my time per company. That's a really interesting way of work. I think it's really cool. Is it difficult to kind of doing the transition every day from one company to another, or it kind of creates some kind of spark of creativity that you even enjoy? That's really interesting, actually. I think for me, the freelance experience is all about kind of change and that being interesting, especially for bigger companies. There's often a limit on how long you can work with them, because I think that there's lots of reasons for that. But generally, companies set a limit for how long in total you can work for them. And at the end of them, you can kind of choose generally, you know, if they want to offer the job to you, you can join or you'd have to leave. I think a lot of that has to do with cost. I don't know exactly. I can't speak for the companies or for my clients, but I think generally companies are trying to keep the cost down for freelancers. It's a balance of costs and uh, regulation, I believe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think if you're lucky that they offer you the job and it's happened for me a bunch of times, then you can join and you can be part of the family. But the reason why I really enjoy the freelancing and why so far I haven't taken any of these jobs is because I'm always excited about the next thing. Like, when I got Spotify, for me, that was mind-blowing. I thought, wow, this is such a cool company. Like, everybody is using... Like, I live in Paris, and on the metro, everybody's using Spotify all the time. And then you're looking over the shoulder of somebody, and you see, like, hey, this is, you know, that's some of the work that I've done. You can see that back and how they're using the app. And, of course, obviously, they're not thinking at all about the UX writing experience. But I think it's still cool to kind of see them use something that I've worked on. And Minecraft, kind of similar. But for me... Change is kind of, I love having change as a constant and diving into new projects and being super excited about them. And I get a lot of energy from, from that. And I, honestly, I, I could totally see myself join a, a, a company as a full-timer at some point. Mm -hmm. I totally could see that happen, but it would have to be for something that I'm extremely passionate about and that I could stay really passionate about as well. Yeah, I think up until that point, I really like doing my own thing and the differences between all the different teams and the differences that you get between challenges. That's been one of the best parts of, of freelancing for me, really. Yeah. Amazing. And how many people in the audience, for example, that are doing recruiting right now and they want to recruit maybe their first UX writer or a few UX writers? In Israel, there is a really interesting boom right now where Wix, for example, hired dozens of UX writers only this year and Facebook also building a really big content design team here. And I'm talking with many companies here in Israel and there is like two kind of attitudes. One attitude is people that know they need to hire a UX writer 
right now. So they're looking for a full-time UX writer, no matter what. And the other one would be like people that are not sure about like UX writing. So they kind of want to test the ground. They want to kind of find someone for a very short-term project, like two weeks, three weeks. Like how do you find or how companies and people in those companies should find the sweet spot of hiring a freelancer that work in your kind of methodology, because I think that could benefit a lot of companies and a lot of companies are not ready for that commitment. Yeah. Wow. I think that's super interesting. That's a really great question, actually, because it's something I think about a lot. Like what is the role of the UX writer, especially being freelance when you're hired? I think, for example, there's been companies where I was hired and I was the first UX writer ever to join the company. And it's really interesting because, for example, at Minecraft, that's the case. They didn't really have much experience with UX. They had a ton of experience with UX designers, and there were a ton of UX designers. But UX writing really only got on their radar quite recently. Now, this is quite a small organization, right? Minecraft is not made by a, a million people. It's a small Swedish game studio, Mojang. But you do get to have like quite a lot of influence when you're the only person doing what you do. And also, there is obviously a lot of responsibility. And a role of, in a, how do you say, uh, evangelism even, of like kind of sharing the, the gospel of why UX writing matters so much and how it can change a lot of things. And then you could compare that a bit to a lot of the work that I've done for startups. Like startups would just be like, hey, I don't know, however they would get to me, maybe they would read something on the internet written by, I don't know, you or something uh, <laughs> about like, hey, this is why UX writing matters, this and this. And then suddenly they're looking at their product and like, hey, yeah. I guess all the writing, all the copy has been done by our designers or by our marketing writers. Maybe we should actually think about this. And then maybe they could, you know, they would end up with me and they would ask me like, hey, how could you help us imp uh, improve this copy? Obviously working, if it's a startup on a limited budget, there's no startup that suddenly is going to hire. When, when there's, when there's seven, seven people working at a startup, I haven't seen any startups that would hire a full-time UX writer yet. I mean, maybe that's going to change in the future and I really hope so. I hope so too. Uh, especially when you already have a UX visual designer to balance it out. I hope that UX writing would get at some point in the future to be that important of a role within a team and that, you know, globally understood as being important for a team. I haven't seen that happen in, in, in smaller companies yet. But then again, if you look at 10 years ago, 10 years ago, you could have said the same thing about UX designers. I mean, people would maybe have a graphic designer, but a UX designer 10 years ago at a startup, you know, I don't think there were that many. So hopefully if you maybe, you know, four or five, six years from now, it'll be very normal to have a UX designer, UX writer, product marketer, all those roles that you see, you know, are normal now to have in a smaller skill company, skill company. Yeah, to also have UX writer part be part of that. And I mean, th then there's other bigger companies that already have more of an established UX writing culture. So for example, uh, Spotify is a great example of this. They have a ton of UX writers, and they deem it to be very, very important to their uh, culture. There's an amazing principal UX writer, there's a whole UX writing organization there. For them, it was really like, hey, there's, you know, design systems, that's a new team, it needs a UX writer. You know what I mean? It's already so in ingrained in the culture that they were automatically already on the lookout for somebody who could do, you know, product slash technical writing for them. And But that's something that right now, I think only larger companies can afford. I'm too much of a freelancer to fully understand corporate politics, but 
I can totally see how it can be hard to, if you're like, for example, head of design to convince your CEO of the importance of a UX writing team, simply because it's just quite new. And, you know, fortunately there's people like you and, and a lot of other people in the UX writing community that are kind of, you know, spreading the gospel and spreading the, um, the knowledge of why it should be important for a company. But a lot of people haven't really seen that yet. So if you're ahead of, product or head of design, and you're trying to explain that to your CEO, today, that's a harder conversation than I think it will be in the future, hopefully. I just think that once they sold, once like the idea that UX writing is where the focus should be, a lot of companies are going into hyper recruiting phase. And I've seen that happens in, in the past in companies like Booking of growing their booking.com, growing their writing team from like 30 to 100 and something in one year and that happened like two years ago i don't even know like what's the their team is like right now i've seen it with weeks that hired basically all of the native english speakers writers in tel aviv and like i'm talking about like five to forty something in one year facebook as i said content design team that is growing so for example weeks cannot afford to have right now bad product communication and they understood that and they understood that the writers, the product communicators can move the needle drastically. So they need a lot of them right now and for all of their products for weeks, whatever, weeks restaurants, weeks sign-up flow. I'm, I'm not working at Wix and don't have any collaboration with them, but I'm just guessing they have many different <laughs> products and they need to communicate all of them consistently in that way. And then you see like this UX writing hyper growth phase. And I'm pretty confident we're going to see it in many, many more companies soon. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I'd really love to see that. You know, I think it's interesting booking the example that you're, you're giving, that's a huge company in Amsterdam where I used to live. Right. All of the buildings is booking. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It must be a bit like, like Wix in, in Israel. Probably. I mean, you, you see people biking around everywhere with booking.com bags and yeah, when I was living there, I definitely was I was thinking a lot about like, hmm, wonder how many of these are UX writers at this point? Because it is, you know, quite a text-heavy product that they're having. You know, there's a lot of writing and communication, uh, written communication all over their product compared to something like Minecraft, which is a video game, which is much more visual. I mean, it's also a good example of a video game that's not narrative-driven very much. Like the players often in Minecraft come narrative. up with their own stories. So there's a lot of, you know, left for, it, with Minecraft. It's really about like, how do you make it easier to play or easier to get to the fun? Something I always say, like, how do you get there quicker? Whereas with booking, I guess there's a lot of other questions people are asking themselves there. A lot of them, I think, are related also to, you know, making sure that nights get booked and that revenue is being made. There's some commercial incentives there, I'm sure, as well, besides just you, you know, uh, general usability. You can see that there is like a direct impact in Booking.com uh, between the writing and the, the revenue engine, right? Like different copies, like, and they test it all the time. I know that. So free spots left. This is copy, right? This is a way to communicate. Free spots left in this hotel right now or five people are looking in this hotel it's arguably arguably might be a bit manipulative even but that scarcity copy creates more money for that organization and once the organization understand that better copy can impact the finance and create more money for the company 
then yeah. they would invest more in that. So yeah. obviously, for example, if the product of Wix would be better communicated, so probably more people will upgrade to premium or maybe they can create more touch points to upgrade to premium while using the app. And I'm not sure how exactly in, in Minecraft, for example, you like do players pay money for using Minecraft? How does it work exactly? Hmm. Well, I think I think it's interesting because the two of the biggest names or tech companies I've been working for, Spot, both Spotify and Minecraft, they don't have much of an incentive of having people pay. I mean, Spotify is a paid service, but there's, I don't know if you've used it, like there's not a ton of like pressure to upgrade. Like you get ads and stuff like, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. But like from the, from a UX writing perspective, I think they're not trying to push you too much. Not like, for example, a booking.com. I mean, you know, I have friends who work there. I think they're doing incredible work. I just want to preface that by saying that I think booking is very, very impressive as a company. I think a lot of people there are really doing good things. But yeah, you know, there is definitely some pressure on you when you go to book something and it says five people are looking at this right now. Six people booked this say yesterday. So hurry up, you know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) Uh, You get towards, it's quite a high pressure environment to be in as a consumer. Whereas Spotify is a bit more chill. It's a bit more about like just listening to music and Minecraft. That's the best example. I think Minecraft you pay in advance. There's different versions of the game. Of course, the Java edition, which is, I think one of the more popular ones, which is available on windows, Mac, even Linux, I think, but only on desktop. That one you pay for in advance. So I think it's about $20 you pay. And then when you're inside the game, there's no in-app purchases. You're just there, you're just having fun. So the UX writing for that version of the game is very much like, oh, like how can we just make this the best experience without any commercial incentives? We don't have to care about like if people are gonna spend more money. I think there are other versions of the game. And even I think in Java edition, you can upgrade to certain other options. You can get, you know, I think there is a server you can get realms, which is a, a private server you have with your friends. But I think what I've really seen is that generally, and this is my first foray in like the gaming industry, really. But what I've seen from the Mojang Studios team is that it's all about like, how can we make this as fun as possible and as easy to use as possible? You know, Minecraft has over 200 million, I think 250 million players worldwide, like we're not trying to push more stuff down their throat. We're just trying to make stuff easy to use, fun. And, you know, what we'd call Minecrafty. Like, it's kind of like this. Well, again, like you haven't played, you should really play it. It's a fun game. It's quite quirky. It's quite weird. It's quite scary sometimes as well. And you're just trying to make that reflect in, to have that reflect in the copy and in the writing and in how we do certain things. And it's not about like, I don't know, making people play Minecraft as much as possible. Like come back tomorrow so we get 50 more gems. No, there's nothing like that. You know, a lot of mobile games are like that, for example. Right, but Minecraft, the casual no. mobile. Yeah, casual mobile games like Candy Crush, you know, it's all about that stuff. And Minecraft is more about you pay it first, generally, and then after you kind of just come in and have fun as much as you want or as little as you want. That's amazing. Like, uh, first of all, the different approach of microcopy and gaming depends on like what you're trying to achieve in Minecraft. Like, it's all about, I will call it customer experience, right? Better copy to create better experience for for your customers, people that already bought the product. 
versus just trying to monetize and monetize and monetize and monetize, like you can see in many other gaming uh, companies and uh, also in other SaaS products even. And I love what you said right now. So the reason like, I feel like many companies started to invest in UX writing is because it's basically those companies that start the direct impact on their finance. And many companies that don't do it today, or maybe just like started doing that, maybe it's because they would understand only in retrospective that better user experience for your product would eventually create more money for your business, more users, more people talking about it, more people that stay and not leave whenever there is just another alternative that is just slightly better. Companies are realizing that more and more. And there's obviously a financial incentive or, you know, a business commercial incentive where you could be like, hey, you know, this, you can totally influence people's decisions and influence people's behavior with writing and with design. But yeah, the thing that I also think is really interesting is that just, yeah, you can make things more fun and more, I don't know, more personal, more on brand even. Like writing, I mean, is so important for making something feel from the same universe. Like at, at Minecraft, for example, it's super important that everything feels like it comes from the same place. Like no matter if you're playing on your Switch, Minecraft's available on so many platforms, like on Switch, on like your phone, on iPad, on desktop, on Xbox. You want to make sure that wherever you are, like it feels like it's from the same universe, even when you're playing a different Minecraft game. For example, there's a, another game this is a, called Minecraft Dungeons. It's a bit less known, but it's a very fun dungeon crawler kind of game, kind of like Diablo, but then in the Minecraft yes. universe. You know, that's a totally different game running on a totally different engine made by a totally different team. But at the same time, you want to feel, make it feel like it's from the same universe. It also has to f- sound and feel like it's Minecraft. And you can do that with sounds and with visuals and obviously with design, with the UI and everything. But writing plays such an important part in that. And obviously for something like uh, Dungeons, which has uh, more of a narrative structure, there's more of a story to it as well. We have amazing narrative designers and amazing creative writers at Mojang that are really, really good at you know creating the story. But even when you talk about more functional copy, more menu product, you know, in-game UX copy, so to say, there's a lot that goes into making sure that feels similar to the entire universe and that it's human and easy to, to use. And, you know, with Minecraft, there's tons of young players, younger, it's, it's quite a young audience, I would say, kids who play. You want to make sure that everybody understands what they're doing, can find what they need to find in the menus, can easily get, like like I said, get to the fun. Those are all very interesting challenges that are not even related necessarily to making more money for the company. But Obviously, and this is, you know, the two-step rocket that I think is interesting. When you have something, when you create something with a better user experience, then people will like the product more and that will lead to an increase in revenue. Like you can talk, you can, for example, say with booking or with some like Instagram. Yeah, if we make this in a way, we write things in a way where they insinuate people to spend more money or spend more time, then obviously we'll make more money. But you could also look at it from a way where you're like, hey, we just make it to be really good and easy to use and personable and human, the writing, and obviously as well, the design, which, you know, the visual design goes hand in hand with the writing, then people will come back because they like the experience. And obviously, you know, I'm not the CEO of of any of these companies I've worked for. So I'm not in charge of, you know, deciding how revenue is being made or how it should be made. You know, maybe if you work uh, at a company like Instagram, you have some 
you know, rules you have to apply to your writing that you're not in charge of. Maybe, you know, there's maybe some more incentives in terms of revenue and that's totally fine. But I think nobody should ever write anything without keeping in mind the whole holistic UX experience and making sure that it's also making money for the company. Also a good experience, easy to use, human and accessible. This is some really interesting stuff. And I wonder, like, you sparked some thoughts here, like, when creating an experience for so many different mediums, like Xbox, iPad, you have, I think you have also VR stuff, right? There used to be also a Minecraft VR game, I think. But, uh, yeah, Minecraft Earth. I don't know if it's still around, actually. But yeah, I mean, just another platform. Another yeah. medium. So is there some kind of a difference in, in their approach when creating different, you know, UX writing for different platforms or right now it's kind of uh, the same message, the same copy within all platforms? That's super interesting. I think this challenge was quite new for me when I joined Spotify at the time because Spotify has the same thing really. Right. Maybe An app, more so a like, TV app. Yeah. Like a lot of people think Spotify is just, you know, the app you use on your phone, be it Android or iPhone, but no, it's like Spotify, I think is available on I'm not kidding. Like, I don't know the numbers exactly, but I think it's more than 50 platforms or maybe more than 60 platforms. There's yeah. like, you know, on your TV, on your Apple watch, there's even a fridge that runs Spotify. Like for real, like LG makes a fridge where Spotify makes like this custom app that has to be maintained. You know, I was working in the design system, so I know how many platforms we had to support. And it was quite impressive, honestly. And, you know, I think to reply to your question, is it like how does it work when you have to support so many different platforms? I think it's like I said, you have to come from the same place. You have to come from the same brand. You have to sound similar. You know, it has to all be recognizably Spotify or recognizably Minecraft or recognizably, I don't know, uh, whatever brand you're writing for, but adapted to the medium. Like obviously, you're going to have a lot of different challenges when you're writing for Apple Watch, which is you know this size of a screen, very, very small, versus if you're writing for a 55-inch OLED TV. Like the, the differences in how much space you have and the context and how menus work is wildly different, can be wildly different per device, I think. Even if you look at Minecraft, it's available on so many, like for example, the interface, the way it works is very different. Like for example, there's Minecraft on your phone, which uses touchscreen controls, but then you have, which, you know, has a, a fully usable touchscreen experience. And then you use it on your TV or on your laptop and it's more of a, you know, mouse and keyboard slash gamepad uh, controller experience. So there you're already talking about different input controls as well, which also matters in the whole story. I think it's all about making it come from the same place and making it sound similar and feel on brand. And, you know, a lot of bigger companies have, you know, a tone of voice document or some sort of, you know, a UX writing section in their design system about like, you know, how do we do UX writing at Minecraft or how do we do it at Spotify? But yeah, you obviously have to, those are guidelines. You obviously have to look at the medium itself, look at the input method, look at the audience maybe even to figure out what the best way is to, um, to apply those rules and to apply the best writing you can do. This is uh, mind-blowing, the amount of devices uh, that you, for example, Spotify have. And we're not even touched like all of the metaverse stuff that everyone are talking about, like, I'm sure that Spotify and many more would have to have like some kind of a presence in all of those uh, 
new digital environments that I can I can't even imagine right now because are a bit far from us or closer than I think. I really don't know, but challenges are going to come. It's going to be really interesting. And I feel like something really interesting you said was about like what I heard basically is that when you have like a consistent design system or any content design system, it would be way more easier for companies to to kind of uh, create their apps for those different products for those different mediums. And I want to ask about best practices to implement content into a design system, which is a huge challenge that many companies have today. Yeah, I think it's always interesting when you're the only UX writer or the first UX writer. I'm sure there's people listening to this that were hired as a first UX writer at a company. Perhaps they already have some experience or perhaps they're transitioning from another profession. Maybe they were a content marketer before, or just a technical writer. And you land at the new company and you're like, hey, how can we establish a UX writing culture here? Right. And I think, like you said, it's really important if your company has a design system to you know, own a place in that as the main counsel, the main proponent of, of UX writing within the company. And it's interesting because I think there's a lot of different approaches to how you could implement something like that. I think at Spotify, it was interesting because there was already quite a lot there. Like I said, they have a huge UX writing culture. So a lot of it was already written down. And you know, for me, it was more a bit more about following the rules that were already set. And obviously, you know, challenging them as well. When I thought, hey, maybe I said I saw something about, I don't know, a, a certain button that was I think there was something with capitalization at some point that we kind of changed how that was done. It was more of a style thing, honestly, but still, you know very important in the realm of UX writing. Maybe there, there were more rules already when it's a big company you're joining. At Minecraft though, like <laughs> it's interesting because for all of the amazing work that's been done at, over, at the game and building this incredible community and game over the years, I don't think UX writing was really at, on top of anybody's mind before I joined. And I think that's very interesting because for me, there's a ton of like legacy stuff to go through. Some of the writing I think might've been done by like the original creator, like the founder of the game 10 years ago. And nobody ever <laughs> touched it since then because they're like, well, this is already, you know, it's just text looks good. There's letters, there's a period at the end. Whereas now I'm like, hey, there's actually like a lot of ways we could better phrase this, or there's a lot of ways in which the interface could like look better if we do May be more easy to use if we change some of these things. And there, there's much more of a thing like, hey, while I'm going through a lot of this writing that already exists, meanwhile, I might as well create some rules about how we should do this in the future. Like here you see an example of a, a company that I've been working for where there has not been much thought uh, on UX writing in the past. So while mm -hmm. I'm doing the work, I might as well write everything down about how I'm doing it. So in the future, you know, hopefully there will be another UX writer after me and multiple UX writers, maybe even at some point, you know, ahead of UX writing. So they have something to look into if they need to write new stuff or if they find stuff they need to change. But there's a source of reference in the design system or maybe you just, you know, it can be as <laughs> Minecraft has a design system, which you're quite lucky to have to, such a, you know, good active design community internally that, that exists even. But even if you are a smaller company and you don't have a design system yet, and it's just a bunch of, I don't know, Google Docs in a folder, you know, just add another Google Doc and write down what you're doing and how you're doing it and create that sense of structure that might be missing. Obviously, there's tons of different ways to do that. You can talk a lot about style. You can talk a lot about tone of voice, about how things should be on brand, what it means to be on brand. But without diving too much into that, I think 
you just work with whatever you have. Sometimes you're lucky because there's already a lot of stuff written down and sometimes you have to do a lot more of the work yourself. Amazing. Some great tips over there about setting up the first guidelines and to your content design system, content style guide, design system, whatever you call it. We have some titles issues uh, in our small community. <laughs> yeah, that, that's always been so interesting to me, actually. Content design, UX writing. When I started, like I said, it was a while back already. I just saw UX writing everywhere. And now more recently, certain companies, I think, so Minecraft is a part of Microsoft, part mm -hmm. of the Xbox Game Studios, so part of Microsoft. And uh, at Microsoft at large, I know that there's quite some people who are content designers rather than UX right. writers. And that's new. That's from the, this year. Yeah, it's quite a new, I think it's more of a holistic title. I like it a lot, mm -hmm. actually. But at the same time, and I'm going to risk, oh, this is, if I'm going to say this, I'm going to sound old, but... I, I promise you I'm not that old. UX writing in and of itself is already trying so hard to make itself known, you know, as coming out of the niche into something more of, you know, oh, like you could talk at, to somebody at a bar and just like how they know what UX design is, they would also know what UX writing is. You know, I hope someday I'll be able to just tell somebody I'm a UX writer and not have to explain 10 minutes what it is that I'm doing. But if you then also use a new term subtly, content design, it makes things a lot harder because now you have two terms to defend. So, yeah, I mean, exactly. And I like it because it gives it more a holistic feel and a more, when you do content design, it feels like you're, you're just, you feel like you're on par with the other designers. You're just doing it from, you know, in the realm of content, through the lens of content, through the lens of writing. But at the same time, there's now this whole other term that sounds very different and you have to do the whole get UX writing a seat at the table thing again. So I don't know. I think, again, like, I think this makes me feel old because now I'm like, oh, UX writing. But back in my day, it was just called UX writing. And I don't want to be that gatekeeper. I don't think anybody should be a gate gatekeeper like that. Right. I think we should all be inclusive, especially with, with such a relatively small community, right? Definitely. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, I see, I'll, I'm very excited to see where that goes. I, I, for me, myself, I mean, I call myself whatever my client calls me. It's very funny because exactly. a lot of clients, people are just calling me the copywriter <laughs> or a very fun one is UX copywriter, which I think is yes, this interesting, be. weird hybrid between the two, which is not wrong, you know, but still it's funny. So yeah, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Definitely. Let's say that you speak to someone at a bar right now and they ask you, what's UX writing? So how do you explain them what you do? You said it takes you 10 minutes, but let's, let's take the shorter version of it. You're, you're literally, you're literally uh, describing my life like every other day. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, no, right? I mean, I can tell you my trick. My trick is like, what's your favorite app except from like social media? And then they're like, I don't know, Spotify. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then I'm like, okay, so how does Spotify communicate itself with you when you use it, right? There is words. So these words, this is UX writing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, honestly, my trick is a bit similar. I think what I do generally is, so first I say the company, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm working for Spotify, I'm working for Minecraft or whatever, another company. And then maybe they're like, oh, okay, so you, and then I say, then I say I'm a designer. And then, because, you know, technically you're a designer, you're just doing it with words. And then if they're more inquisitive or if it's, you know, we're talking about a bar, right? That's a tough detour <laughs> to go from the design lens. That's a tough detour because you need to reach the words. 
Yeah, <laughs> I'm betting on people not asking the next question. Like you're talking about somebody I just met at a bar. I don't want to dive into stuff that they don't, you know, if, if it's just a, a two minute conversation, I don't have any time. There's not enough time to explain what UX writing is, I think. But if they then ask, you know, if I say I'm just a designer, oh, okay, whatever, fine. But if they say, what do you design? I'm like, oh, actually, I'm a writer. <laughs> and then I can <laughs> wow. show my phone and I can be like, hey, you know, I have obviously have Spotify on my phone. I show the app to them and I'm like, hey, look, see, this is all the stuff that I write. And if, if it's somebody I know a little bit better or if I have more time or if it's just not a random encounter, I'll just be like, hey, I'm a, I'm a UX writer. I work for Spotify, for example, or Minecraft. And I show them the Spotify app and I'll just like take them through the stuff that I would do, the stuff that I would focus on. But at Spotify, it's even inter more interesting because it was specifically, like I said, part of design systems. So it's not like I'm, you know, the person responsible for all the copy that you see in the iOS app. If I then would have to explain specifically what I was doing there, there's a whole nother layer of explanation. Oh. And, oh, you know, maybe we're talking to somebody who's a consultant at like Deloitte who has absolutely no idea, have never spent a minute of their life thinking about how the Spotify app is made, <laughs> except for that they're really happy to be able to listen to Ariana Grande every day, you know? <laughs> so, and obviously no offense to either Deloitte or Ariana Grande, both of which are incredible singers. Artists. Artists. Companies. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's hard to describe. And I, I struggle with it quite a bit. I think everybody using UX writing struggles with it. It's part of this identity. I wouldn't call it an identity crisis, but this identity, the search for identity within companies, within the general design community. That probably, that's also probably why the whole thing of content design, the new term kind of came about. It's just young. Like we're all just still searching. We're all still kind of talking a lot to people, explaining what it is, what we do, trying to convince people to hire us, trying to convince people to spend more time on UX writing, all the while defining the field and defining how we call ourselves. And yeah, like I said, it's early, like we're early. It feels like, you know, the time when Bitcoin was, when there was this website online called the Bitcoin faucet, where you could get a free Bitcoin. Like nowadays, that's impossible. I feel like we're so far away still from where this will head in the future. And hopefully in a couple of years, we'll be sitting here and being like, oh yeah, you know, us content designers, us UX writers, whatever it may be, or maybe a whole new term. It's unthinkable of that not being a significant part of an organization or at least having, you know, a UX writing director or a UX writing head at every company, even though there may be only 20 or 30 people small. That's at least what I'm hoping for. Amen. Hopefully we'll get there. Um, cool. I want to recommend an article called 15 Failed Attempts at Describing UX Writing at Parties by Steve Howe. So that's a really good one. Wait, this is an actual article? This is incredible. This is one of my favorite articles. Steve was on this pod like two years ago. Now he works at tech. Mm -hmm. Now he works as a content designer at Shopify. But you, you mm -hmm. used to be a UX writer at Typeform and you wrote this. Uh, I'll share it here in the chat. It's pretty funny, wow. you know, like, yes, I write. And then like one of my favorite example is... Oh my God, this is incredible. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Like when people ask you, do you like, what do you do? I'm a UX writer. What is that? I write copy for different apps. And then people ask, so you write code? Like I got that question so many times and it just... Uh, it gave yep. in one of the examples and I felt it's pretty funny. Anyway, I will add that article in the show notes. 
yeah, when you're introduced to somebody who's also um, a writer at a party or something, it's like, hey, Juan, like this girl here, she's also a writer. And then suddenly you're talking to this other writer. And obviously, you know that you're in the same field, but then you explain that you're not a writer as how many, you know, maybe she's writing a book. <laughs> I've had this once or twice when it was actually somebody who was trying to write a book. And then what you're, what we do is could not be more far from that. You know, to be fair, I always enjoy these conversations. I always enjoy introducing people to the concept. And yeah, I mean, for a lot of people, a lot of journalists, a lot of people who are creative writers that might not like their field of work that much or, or want to have an introduction into tech, like it's a great way to transition and, and work for a tech company. Like, even if you're non-technical, you can have a seat at the product table, kind of. And influencing products that digital products that people use every day. I think that's quite cool. And, you know, obviously this is a new-ish thing, still niche, but hopefully in the future that will be known as like one of the paths you can take if you're a writer. That's at least what I'm hoping for. Yeah. We'll get there. We're getting there. And uh, we, we see already many people from many, many different disciplines coming to this field. And our agenda in the UX Writing Hub is to make like the tech world more accessible to people that are not techies necessarily. Anyway, it was a lot of fun talking with you today, Juan. I learned a lot. As always, always when we have a conversation, I've learned something new. Now it's the time when I ask, and this is going to be a tough question because we talked for one hour, which is a lot of time. And about a lot wrap, of different things too. And a lot of different things, right? Like we talked about spending your time, how to be a freelancer and to invest your time like in completely different ways, your specific way of work with different clients. We talked about gaming, we talked about, you know, SaaS, we talked about in-app monetizations, we talked about so many things. Yeah, um, we covered the whole, the whole thing, didn't we? I think what thing. it is interesting, because I know what you're about to ask me. <laughs> you know what I'm you're about. Gonna ask me for, you're you're going to ask me for a title. I think it's interesting. I, I, I don't know. I don't think there are that many freelance UX writers. Like I've always found that most of the UX writers that I talk or, or content designers that I've talked to are always like part of a company already. I find like there is a pool of small, of a small pool of UX writers that are doing freelance work and consulting, but not that many. So I think that's always, I think that's also why I try to talk a bit. That's why I thought it was interesting to talk about that a bit about like, how do you do this with clients? How do you switch between them? How do you find them? I mean, we didn't really talk about that. That's a whole nother, a whole nother episode, I guess, acquisition. That's a, that's also an interesting one, right. but yeah, I mean, the freelance experience of it is really interesting. I think, because a lot of people, you know, I feel, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like a lot of people in UX writing have full-time employment contract. Yeah. I always feel that. The one that well, have you, a job. How do you see that? The ones yeah. that have a job, right? So they're the tech industry right now have a big gap. So on one hand, many hirings, a lot of money pouring in, growth, growth, growth. This is one thing. So we have like 50 open roles for content designers and they're hiring full-time only, right? On the other hand, not enough people that have the experience to be full-time UX writers and content designers. So my tip for many people, and this is how I started in UX design myself like six or seven years ago, was to start freelancing and take some UX writing gigs as a freelancer, experiment with different type of clients to understand what you like and what you don't like, see if you even like this field, 
right? Have maybe one year of experience on different massive projects, and then it would be way easier for you to land that full-time UX writing role that you seek. But most people are looking for a full-time UX writing role, and they they have a lot of challenges to to land it because of lack of experience. And freelance is a yeah. nice kind of bridge between those. And you decided to stay a freelancer, which, like, to be a freelancer, and I think that's also can be a really great uh, strategy for your career to experiment, you know, not only with the single product team, but with a few product teams. And I think that's also a good, mm. and definitely we don't see a lot of people that are doing it right now. And I think we should see more of this because it will be way more beneficial for the companies to have someone that is flexible and also for the freelance to have many projects. I pretty much agree with everything you were saying. I think it's really, for me, it's definitely been very helpful to have all this experience with all these different companies because it just like it's been such a school for me checking you know seeing what companies different needs are people's different needs are how you apply you know ux writing fundamentals to different brands and different product but yeah at the same time like i guess for me having chosen quote unquote chosen to be a full-time ux writer that's also possible like i kind of want to show that that's also a thing you can do there's a lot i, I think ux writing is I think a lot of companies that when they're hiring for a full-time UX writer, they would also be just open to hiring somebody freelance because it's still quite early. Budgets are still quite up in the air and for a lot of companies at least. And also a lot of companies are still figuring out if they actually need a UX writer. So maybe they're hiring for somebody, but they don't fully know. At least in my experience, I've often joined companies and then I guess I don't want to be too proud of myself, but you know, hopefully showed them a bit that it can be worth hiring a full-time UX writer. And then in the process of my work for them, kind of uh, showing them that. But yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I, I think it's totally possible to do it freelance as well. But it, like you said, full-time freelance, I mean, but like you said, it can also be a great introduction to get like, you know, some smaller gigs and treat it almost like smaller, you know, internships at companies where you learn a lot of different things. There's a lot of ways to approach it. I think there's not one way to do it. And obviously, if you're freelancing somewhere, then obvious, then oftentimes there's a chance you can integrate within the company at a later date as well. Would you consider to start you an agency at some point? Or it's not your cup of tea? Because it's a different business module. It's less writing, basically. True. I really do like the hands-on stuff, though. I really like being part of a product team and, and doing actual writing. But an agency, yeah, it could be interesting. I, I think I've been experimenting a little bit about with like, you know, stuff around the actual work. Like I write a newsletter now that's been really fun to to try out. It's called Super Short if you want to check it out. I only just got started though. Like I, I'm on like the third or second issue. But it's like just writing about, you know, UX writing to an audience of designers. Because I think there's still so much to gain and still so much for people to learn who aren't already, you know, very well-versed in the in the in UX writing and content design. Yeah, perhaps growing that into an agency at some point, you know, I think what you're, you've been doing is really interesting with courses. I think that could be interesting, seeing if there's anything there. I think just the whole field is quite new and quite young, so it's just full of opportunities, really. And we'll just have to see where it goes in the future. I agree. All right. So how should we name this episode? What do you think? A journey into freelance UX writing or maybe something around the freelance experience or how to nail your freelance UX writing career or how to excel your freelance UX writing career, something like that. 
Yeah, how to be happy as a freelance UX writer. <laughs> it's not, we didn't even talk about happiness that much. No, but how, how to make freelance UX writing work, something like that. Yeah, or, or like the experience of your freelance UX writer. You know, I don't know if we touched on that enough, but I think the progress is very interesting. Like how in the beginning I was kind of, you know, it was pretty hard to find smaller companies to give me UX writing jobs. And now it's like, you know, bigger companies that I'm, you know, very grateful to work with. I have to pinch myself every day that I get to work for those cool brands. So I think, especially when you're starting off, I think there's a lot of stuff that's interesting that, you know, maybe in this episode, there's some stuff that you could learn about how to find your way into growing your, your portfolio and getting towards the companies you want to work for. And, you know, the better contracts, the bigger contracts. Amazing. Juan, thank you so much for being here today. You said, uh, I want to talk thank about you. it and you talked about it already, but you have super short, your new newsletter for writers in tech for UX writing. If I want to sign up, where would be the easiest place to find it? I think you can just go to newsletter.supershort.co. But even if you just go to supershort.co, you could also find it. Or just on Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. There's a link there too. At Juan Baez. He's going to be in the show notes, don't worry. Everything will be in the show notes. So sign up to <laughs> the new show notes and also the, the link to your Twitter and everything. So don't worry about it. Amazing. I'm very happy for this initiative, by the way. It's cool to have more and more content creators that create awesome content uh, to this industry. I feel like we should have more angles and more content creators. So I'm happy that you're doing that. It's amazing. Nice, man. Yeah. I mean, it's been very, very fun talking to you. I think it's been very too, interesting. Yeah. And, you know, if people have any more questions about the freelance thing or anything, they can always reach out to me, of course. I wish I had people to ask questions to when I got started. So I hope to be that person for more people. Amazing. Definitely. Thank you so much, Juan. And thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Writers in Tech, a podcast brought to you by the UX Running Hub. Definitely, you should check our website. We have a free UX writing course over there, a blog. Uh, we have a weekly newsletter as well, and a lot of great stuff. So check it out. Uh, and also a job board, by the way, if you're looking for a job. That's about it. And I'll see you next time. Bye.